Welcome to the sermon podcast of Northridge Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Betsy Sweetenberg, the pastor here, and I hope that in this podcast, you see what we seek to do week after week, approaching the stories of our faith with a holy curiosity, not shutting the book because the stories are hard or there are truths we'd rather ignore. Instead, approaching scripture, trusting that God will meet us there, full of grace and truth, teaching us something new about how we are to live in this world God so loves. We're going to turn our attention to a prophet named Amos. Prophets in the Bible are part of a tradition of resistance. They resist the world as it is so that they can name the world as it could be, the world as it should be. And so we're going to linger in scriptures of resistance a little bit longer than we've lingered with other types of scripture this summer because these texts are so central to understanding the Bible. Rachel Held Evans in her explanation of resistance scripture helpfully says it this way, it's easy for us to forget that the Bible was written by oppressed religious minorities living under the heels of powerful nation states known for their extravagant wealth and violence. For authors of the Old Testament, it was Egyptian, Assyrian, Babylonian, Greek, and Persian empires. For the New Testament writers, it was the massive Roman Empire. All of these various superpowers, which inflicted centuries of suffering upon Jews and other conquered populations, became collectively known among the people of God and among scripture writers as Babylon. And so one of the most important questions facing the people who gave us the Bible was, how do we resist Babylon? So when you read Babylon in the Bible, it is a physical place, but it's so much more than that. It's this idea of oppression. It is something that could be used today to mean the same thing. And so this week, we're going to explore resistance through truth-telling, which is what prophets do. They aren't fortune-tellers or soothsayers. Prophets are truth-tellers. They see things as they really are, past, present, and future, and they challenge their community to accept that reality. Next week, we're going to go all the way to the end of the Bible and explore resistance through imagination using scripture from Revelation. Truth-telling and imagination are two sides of that same resistance coin. So when we read the text, you'll quickly realize that Amos is a truth teller who doesn't care much about making the truth palatable. His words are harsh. We don't know much about the prophet Amos except that he grew up in a small town just south of Jerusalem. He was a shepherd, but we have no idea whether he was living hand to mouth or had some means. His preaching career was very short-lived, and you'll soon understand why. But from his brief career... We do know that he was a man of integrity and uncompromising values. At the heart of all of his preaching was the same message. It was a message about the sovereignty of God. And he would say in every sermon, one way or another, that because God is above all, everyone, rich or poor, employed or unemployed, prosperous or oppressed, 
we should be compelled to work toward justice for all. And that's what he preaches again and again and again in his short career. So before we turn to his words, let's pray together. Hold us, O God. Hold us so that we might hear the truth of what you're still saying to us this day. Hold us so that we might be compelled to tell the truth about this world you so love. In your son's name we pray. Amen. This comes from the book of Amos, the fifth chapter, verses 21 through 24. I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever heard a sermon on a scripture that is so powerful that anytime you hear that scripture, you automatically think back to the sermon you heard? That is true for me when it comes to these words from Amos. I can't hear them without thinking about a sermon. It's funny because it's not actually a sermon I heard preached. It was preached long before I was born on October 13, 1957. But I heard the sermon quoted, and then I read the sermon in this little book titled The Unsilent South. It's a collection of sermons that were preached across the South, dealing specifically with race and integration. And the first sermon in this book is based on the scripture that we just read. It's titled, Amos Diagnoses Our Southern Sickness. It was preached at a Presbyterian church in Marion, South Carolina, a congregation of several hundred members, mostly business professionals, a few farmers thrown into the mix, all community leaders. South Carolina had become a hotbed of protests in response to the Supreme Court decisions in 1954 and 1955. And the governor of South Carolina and his legislature led an unbroken front of opposition to all school desegregation. So when this sermon was preached in 1957, all public schools in South Carolina remained segregated, despite that 1954 verdict of Brown versus Board of Education. And using Amos's words, the preacher revealed the injustice of that segregated community all those years ago. I want to share some of that sermon with you. True religion means social justice, he preached. Israel began as a religious nation called into being by God. From the outset, Israel was to be a model of the community God wanted to create. Her worship and her common life were both living expressions of her fidelity to God. God was just as concerned that people deal fairly with one another as that they worship God properly. 
Therefore, he said, religion cannot be divorced from daily life. Some try to separate this unholy separation of religion and daily life by using the misleading phrase, the spiritual mission of the church. Others feel that the church should not speak on controversial issues, but what they often mean is, don't speak, you'll upset vested interests. Or, don't speak, because it will bring change. But Amos, like Jesus, knew nothing of such restrictions on the mission of the church, where people and their relationship to each other are at stake, the church must speak. If she doesn't, she deserves no more respect than a physician who withholds medicine and lets a patient die. He ended the sermon by saying, this is Amos's diagnosis of his society and ours. We have taken privilege and shrugged off responsibility. We have tried to separate religion from social justice, and we are sick. God has brought us to this hour in our sickness. He is at work. In the midst of turmoil, he is calling his people to stand firmly for justice, equality, and love. From this sickness, our church in the South will either recover and move into a period of robust health and race relations or go into a recourse whose course cannot be predicted. Which way the South responds to her sickness will depend primarily on the witness and the actions of Southern white Christians. Now, right after that sermon was preached, elders huddled up in the narthex so that they could demand a meeting with the pastor right after worship was done. This was supposed to be a two-part sermon series on race relations. But after their meeting, it was agreed that the following would be printed in the next week's bulletin. Although the session does not agree with the sermon last Sunday, we affirm the preacher's right to preach the gospel as God leads him to do. However, because of present conditions in our church, and without in any way attempting to restrict the freedom of the pulpit, we have asked him not to preach his second sermon on race relations. Ultimately, the pastor and the session reached a mutual agreement that it would be best for him to seek another pastorate. We're not living in the segregated South Carolina of 1957, but what strikes me about these words today, just as much as it struck me when I heard them about 12 or 15 years ago, I don't know how long ago it was, that they could be preached today just as they were then. We are still sick. Racism is alive and well here in our land. We were reminded just recently of how dangerous it is for black men simply to exist in our nation with the shooting of Jalen Walker. Our prison system is in large part an institutionalized manifestation of racism. The numbers speak for themselves. Structural racism shows up all over the place in home ownership and school boundaries and voting maps and hiring patterns. It may not be as pronounced as segregation was, but it is still all over the place. I wish it wasn't so. 
I wish that the words of that sermon caused me what it was like to be a preacher in such a broken society. But I'm afraid I know more about that than I'd like to. And I think we all know more about living our faith in a broken society than we'd like to. Amos did too. He spoke right into a broken society. He didn't mince his words because he wanted to shake people awake. God's justice is bigger than what you see. You don't have to resign yourself to the world as it is, he was saying. To be faithful is to work for God's justice in ways big and small so that it shows up in relationships with one another and in the very fabric of society. I think he'd have the same words for us today. And as that South Carolina preacher said, where people and their relationship to each other are at stake, the church must speak. So church, where are we being called to speak up and to speak out for the healing of relationships in this nation? You don't need me to tell you that the fabric of our society is frayed. The question for us is what will our witness be? We can't become numb to the sickness around us or shrug it off because we think that nothing will change. That's why, promise, that's why prophets like Amos are so important. They remind us that we have to be honest about the state of our world. Truth-telling is the first act of resistance en route to a better world. You have to be honest about the world as it is so that then you can begin to imagine the world as it could be. And the first time I heard some of the words of that sermon, I quoted to you, I was in college and believe it or not, it was not the only Sunday morning during college when I managed to make it to worship. But you could call my worship attendance spotty at best in my college year, so I have no idea why I was compelled to go that day. But anyways, I got to worship and I settled into a pew and tried to avoid making eye contact with the familiar faces that would remind me that I was attending college in my hometown, and I mostly managed the sermon that day wasn't on Amos, but it was on truth-telling. And the scripture was about Jesus returning to his hometown to preach and upsetting everyone who came to church that day. The truth has a way of doing that to people. And I remember that the preacher saying that what happens in worship through all that we do, through prayers and music and scripture and the sermon, is that God reaches down in all of that to embrace us so that we know that we are held in the loving arms of God. Because only when we know that we are safe and secure can we begin to hear the truth of Scripture. And then we can begin to tell the truth, to unmask all the lies that govern our lives. She may as well have been talking about Amos. And then she shared excerpts from the sermon I shared with you. I'd never heard of that book before she mentioned it, but I was taken by the words she quoted. And as she finished, she said, some of you may be wondering why I haven't shared the name of that preacher yet. After all, the sermon was preached at a Presbyterian church. 
and it's a small Presbyterian world, and the Southern Presbyterian world is smaller still. And then she began to lift her arm, and she pointed to a pew, and she said, though he's not here today, that preacher usually sits right there. I was very confused, because I knew exactly who usually sat in that pew. She was pointing at my grandfather's pew. 18 years old, and I had no idea. So, of course, the first thing I did after church as I was walking back to my dorm was to call him and ask why he never shared that story with me. What is there to say, Betsy? I preached the truth, and I got run out of town. Your father was a few months old, and your grandmother was scared. We didn't know where we were going to go. I didn't have a job. Nothing about it was glamorous. Truth-telling never is, which is why preaching the prophets always feels like playing with fire. But in the words of preacher Bill Coffin, the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. Where people and their relationship to each other are at stake, the church must speak. We must speak. We must tell the truth about the world as it is so that we can work towards the world as it could be, as it should be. Hanging in my office, I have the final sentence of my grandfather's sermon as daily encouragement, and so I offer it to each of you too. May God give all of us the humility to accept his healing and the strength to follow his will. It's all that easy. And it's all that hard. Amen. Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all persons. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day, and always, always. Amen.